welcome to this very first episode of this Markets Politics podcast. I'm Matthew Shaddock, Head of Politics here at Markets, and every week I'll be joined by our political analyst, Patrick Flynn. Now, the UK is going to have a new Prime Minister in just a few days' time. And in this opening episode, we're going to be talking about the odds on the Sunak v Trust contest, as well as looking at the price on who's going to get the big jobs in the new Cabinet, and looking forward to how this has all impacted the odds on the next UK general election. But before we get into that... I just wanted to say a few introductory words about this podcast and why, I think, why we think this will be different from your standard politics podcast. Smarkist is a betting exchange. Our expertise is in predictions and trading, and pretty much everything we talk about is going to be through that lens. Um, now, Smarkist has got the widest range of politics and current affairs markets of any comparable platform, and we're going to try and use that data to talk about the latest probabilities, market moves, and maybe give a few opinions of our own about what where we think things are heading. Now, there's a lot going on over the next few months. We've got elections coming up in Italy, Brazil, and the build-up, of course, to the US midterms in November. This week is just Patrick and I. Most weeks we'll be joined by our regular host, Dan Levy, and also some special guests. Now, Patrick, before we kick things off, I don't know if you want to say a few words about why you think prediction markets and betting markets in general can be interesting and useful for thinking about these sorts of things. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, like prediction markets are a fast growing part of the political forecasting industry and are amassing increasing levels of interest among both the media and people who trade. Um, there's, there's some recent evidence suggesting that they can perform as well as, if not better than traditional forecasting methods. So it's a very exciting time to be starting a podcast on this. Sure. Of course, first big thing we're going to discuss We've got the Conservative leadership election, voting closing on Friday, result announced sometime around midday on Monday, we think. Um, Patrick, what are the markets saying about what we should expect? Yeah, so, I mean, it's not particularly competitive. Um, current markets prices are giving Liz Truss a 95% chance of winning, suggesting the race is, is all but over. Uh, Truss has been the favourite since the 19th of July, which, casting your mind back, was the day before Penny Mordaunt got eliminated from the race. And it doesn't look like it's going to be particularly close. Uh, somewhere around a 65% share of the vote for Liz Trust seems about right. For what it's worth, our market is implying 63.9% vote share for Liz Trust, to be specific. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so about a 5% chance that Richie Sunak wins, according to the market's prices. I mean, there are still people betting on him. Um, but if I think back to sort of other UK leadership elections over the last couple of decades, there isn't really any precedent for the markets being as wrong as they would have to be for Sunak to win this. Um, I can think back to the 2010 Labour leadership election, where David Miliband was favourite right up until the last minute. Eventually, Ed Miliband just narrowly won. But that betting was very close. Nothing like what we've got here, where we're saying it's you know a one in 20 or something chance of Sunak winning. So over the last month or so, to be honest, the market has been very quiet and stable. Nothing that's happened in any of these debates or hustings has, has really made any difference. I mean, a lot of people who don't follow this as closely as, as, as we do seem quite surprised when I tell them just how one-sided the betting is here. Um, what do you think the main factors behind this have been? What's gone right for Liz Truss, assuming she wins and, and, and vice versa, Rishi Sunak? Um, to be honest, like I don't necessarily take the same view as many people. Like I, I don't think it's necessarily the case that Liz Truss has had a particularly strong campaign and, and Rishi Sunak a particularly weak one. Um, I think what's been clear from the start is that there is an, an anti-Sunak majority among among Conservative members. Um, we saw that in a lot of head-to-head -head polls early on. Sunak was only really beating beating Jeremy Hunt 
and was behind a lot of the major major contenders. And this was backed up in the odds early on. Um, even when Sunak was the favourite to win, that was driven heavily by the fact that he was an overwhelming favourite to make the final two. If you actually divided his chance to win on markets by his chance of making the final two, you got to less than 50%, suggesting that he was going to go into the runoff as the underdog regardless. Um, and, you know, the market moving so heavily in Liz Truss's favour over the last six weeks, it's not necessarily because she's run a really good campaign, but perhaps more because the market's now coming into line with the information that, that we already, we always had. Yeah, sure. I mean, I was looking back at the history of this whole market ever since Boris Johnson became Tory leader back in 2019. You could have bet on his successor. Um, now, the biggest price anybody got on markets was around 80. So that would have represented around just over 1% chance of winning. So there's a few people sitting on a potentially nice payout come Monday, assuming she wins. Um, back in autumn 2021, i.e. about a year ago, her chance had gone up to around 7% on the betting. And even on the eve of this contest happening, when Johnson resigned back in July, she was still only being given a, a sort of 8% chance of winning. She was fourth or fifth favourite. Um, but as you say, she became favourite near the end of the MP's voting process. And ever since we got down to the last two, her price has just got shorter and shorter as, as the month has gone on. So we're assuming Truss is going to win. Uh, on, she's going to become Prime Minister on Monday or perhaps on Tuesday. Or she'll be formally sworn in by the Queen, if that's the right word, describing what happens there. Um, and then attention will shift to who she's going to appoint to the big jobs in the Cabinet. We've smarkets, we've got odds on. Home Sec, Foreign Secretary um, and Chancellor. Chancellor, we've got a big, pretty strong favourite there. What are the betting, what's the betting saying there, Patrick? Yeah, so the next Chancellor, we've got Kwasi Kwarteng, who's a key ally of Liz Truss. He's the heavy, heavy favourite on our market. And he's currently trading at an 85% chance with Simon Clark and Therese Coffey rounding out the top three. Um, this was a much closer race between, between Kwarteng and Clark when we first opened this market at the back end of July. But Kwarteng has become a stronger and stronger favourite, thanks in part to some media speculation, of which there's there's been a lot. Um, as a side note, Kwasi Kwarteng's Wikipedia page was edited this Tuesday, removing all references to his stance on the Owen Paterson scandal. And notably, that was from an IP address corresponding to the House of Commons network. Um, not pointing any fingers, but, but make of that what you will. <laughs> and what about the other two jobs we've got markets on? Home Secretary, Foreign Secretary, what's happening there? Yeah, so for Home Secretary, our markets were initially suggesting that there was a decent chance that Priti Patel would stay on. Um, but now that looks like an increasingly remote prospect. Um, Suella Braverman is now odds-on favourite at 69% chance. Um, perhaps some might be surprised at the the lack of optimism in this market for Kami Badenoch, but she's never really budged from around a 5% chance. Yeah, I mean, Braverman put up a decent showing in the leadership race, didn't she? I mean, I think a lot of people thought she was a bit of a joke candidate when she first announced she was going to stand, but she did pretty well in the end. Um, I did see somebody tipping up Tom Tugentat as a possible Home Secretary this morning. It seems kind of weird because all his expertise is in, in foreign affairs and he's on a sort of slightly different wing of the party to, to trust, but he's shot into sort of second favourite there with around a sort of 25% chance of winning. I mean, looking back at some of these markets in the past, when Theresa May became Prime Minister and sort of cleared out, cleared out the Cabinet there, it was quite a big surprise when she appointed Boris Johnson as Foreign Secretary. He was only given around a sort of 10% chance by the betting market. So still plenty of possibilities that we could get a surprise in one of those ones. Um, and a lot of people are already speculating that whoever gets this job, and we're going to assume it's probably going to be trust, um, it's possible they might not last 
all that long. I mean, is there a chance that Trust could be the shortest serving Prime Minister of all time? I think she's got to get to 119 days. I mean, yeah, it's difficult. But one thing you can say about the Tory party, if nothing else, is that it's ruthless when it comes to deposing underperforming leaders. And when you look at what's to come in the next 12 months, the new leader is going to face a, a barrage of problems related to the, the cost of living crisis. And potentially, if we get 12, 18 months down the line and it looks like Truss is a bit of an electoral damp squib um, with very little prospect of winning the next election, you never know what Tory MPs could do. Just looking at the timeline to kind of flesh this out, this idea, 12 to 18 months takes us somewhere between autumn 2023 and spring 2024. Now, the next election doesn't technically have to take place until January 2025. So in theory, that's probably enough time for a new PM to get in place ahead of an election to try and turn things around. Like, let's remember that both Theresa May and Boris Johnson called elections within the first 10 months of their premiership. So it's, it's not an unprecedented situation for a new PM to be in within a year before an election. But ultimately, like, regardless of who the leader is, most of the signs are pointing towards the Tories losing power at the next election. Well, I mean, you say that, Patrick, but it's it's interesting, isn't it? If you look at the odds and who's going to win most seats in the next general election, amazingly to me, the Tories are still narrow favourites. It's it's weird, isn't it, that given how far behind the polls they are, given the difficulty that the new prime minister is going to run into with uh, what we know about, you know, the economic situation, energy prices, and so on. Why why aren't Labour favourites? Yeah, I found it interesting as well. Um... I think some of it is down to traders placing a bit too much emphasis on the past. The idea that, you know, we've been in this position before where Labour have led midterm polls but still lost the election, like 2010 to 2015 in particular, comes to mind. Um, for a couple of reasons, I think that's a misjudged assessment. Um, first, what we've got to remember is that the polls were not weighted very well during that 2010 to 2015 period. So any kind of 10-point Labour lead in 2012 in the middle of the parliament was probably more like four or five points. So Labour were ahead, but not sufficiently ahead to you know, have that comfortable um, margin to end up winning the election. Um, since then, the, the quality of polling has improved. Also, if we look at other times in recent memory where the Tories have been suffering in the polls, there has usually been a decent-sized UKIP or Brexit party presence, which the Tories were able to squeeze by election day. This time around, there isn't a party to the right of the Conservatives that they're able to rely upon for votes. And like one final point, while it's true that incumbent governments tend to perform worse during the middle of their terms when voters want to give them a kicking and they tend to recover closer to the, to the election, the economic situation is looking pretty dire for the Tories and it, it will continue to be for the next year or two. So even if the Tories pick up some steam ahead of 2024 or 2025, given the fundamentals around the economy, I'm not sure it's going to be enough for them to form, form the government after the next election. I'll be honest, I had a small bet laying the Tories most seats the other day. Um, I do think the prices are bound to move in Labour's favour. I'm just not that optimistic that for Liz Truss that she's going to get much of a sort of honeymoon boost, although that's always possible. Um, and of course, the markets we're talking about here, who's going to win most seats, that doesn't really mean who's going to win the election, because if the Tories don't get a majority, um, you know, if they don't get somewhere very close to a majority at least, it's going to be very, very difficult for them to form a government because, you know, Theresa May managed to rely on a few Ulster unionists to, to get, a, get her stuff through. I don't think they could even rely on that now. It's much, much easier, obviously, for Labour to form a government with 
let's say 280, 290 seats, because they can probably, almost certainly, I'd say, rely on the Liberal Democrats and the SNP to at least tacitly support a Labour minority government, and the Tories just don't have anyone else in the House of Commons who are likely to do that for them. Yeah, like, I, I agree. Um, but aside from, from next seats, because the Tories kind of have an, an inbuilt advantage, thanks to our electoral system and the way that the votes are distributed, there is actually probably a better bet than laying the Tories most seats. Um, and that's Labour to win most votes, which is available at 1.8 on Smarkets, which is a 56% chance. Um, I mean, given where Labour are in the polls and what's to come for the Tories, that, that looks like a better a better shout for me. You're saying that because there's still a slight electoral advantage to the Tories yeah. where Labour's votes don't translate in the seats. Yeah, quite as exactly. So, so like, even if votes yeah. is more likely, right? So even if they were tied nationally in um, percentage of the vote, like the Tories would probably still have slightly more seats. Yeah. yeah. I just want to talk about one other thing. Um, as we referred to earlier, one of the ways Trust might end up being the shortest serving PM ever, if she doesn't get to the 2nd of January next year, um, is if she called an early election, lots of speculation in the media and elsewhere that that's something she might choose to do. 7% chance of smart kits, that equates to around 14 to 1 in old sort of fractional odds. Would you back that? Could you see it happening? Um, I could have seen it happening if she had announced a big cost of living package before Labour had come out the gates with theirs. Um, because Labour were quite slow on this, I was perhaps anticipating that if Labour didn't announce something that the Tories could beat them to it and potentially put forward a raft of measures and then try and call an election on the back of it, saying like, right, we've got a plan, this is what we're going to do to help, put your faith in us to execute it and we'll get you through the crisis. Um, ultimately now though, the Liz Truss is still maintaining that she's not going to do anything more than she's already pledged, even though we're only a few days out from her actually becoming PM. Um, and the Tories are always just going to be in Labour's shadow now, whatever they announce. So unless they go further than Labour, I'm not entirely convinced that an election this year is a particular, particularly large possibility. Yeah, I mean, the general election odds haven't moved very much during this contest, slightly in Labour's favour. But I don't even think that's to do with people expecting trust to win and perhaps you'll be an electoral liability. It's just more down, I would expect, to the general economic circumstances, energy crisis and so on, and just how difficult that's going to be. For the government and it doesn't look like any of those are going to be getting any better anytime soon um what about either party getting a majority the markets at the moment are saying a hung parliament of some sort is the most likely outcome the chances of a labor majority have gone up to around 28 percent right now how do you feel about that um i was actually looking at this a couple of weeks ago and i thought that the chance of a labor majority was a little bit undervalued but now people seem to have picked up on that and as you say it's gone up to 28 percent You've got to bear in mind what kind of lead Labour would need nationally to win a majority. Once you factor in Scotland, um, barring a, a big comeback for Scottish Labour, Labour would need to beat the Tories nationally by something like 12 points to form a majority on a uniform swing. And that's a very, very big ask. Um, I mean, it's not totally out of the question, given the state the country might be in in a few years' time, but some sort of Labour-led minority government looks by far the most likely outcome. Yeah, I've had a small bit on that. Um, yeah, as you say, if they don't make any sort of grand comeback in Scotland, let's imagine they have a, at the moment, if they won a dozen seats in Scotland, that would be quite a good night for them. But if they don't do that, if you look at some of the seats they would have to win in England to get a majority, we're talking about places like Basingstoke, Bournemouth West, Thanet South, Thurrock, places, you know, we're not just talking about getting back the red wall seats, that's kind of the easy bit in some yeah. ways. They are going to have to win some very, very unlikely seats in order to turn their current position into a majority, and it's kind of 1997 type 
um, swings we're going to need to see, and that's not impossible, but not all that likely. Um, I just wanted to move on to one other thing here, actually. We've got a market up, actually, it's markets on who will be, who will succeed either Trust or Sunak as the next Tory leader um, somewhere down the line. Um, and one of the possibilities, I guess, is that Boris Johnson might hang around for a bit longer. I'd assumed that he'd be out of the way, leaving the backbenches as soon as possible, getting a job somewhere else. But that doesn't seem like it's going to happen. It seems like he's thinking about staying around in the House of Commons. Um, any chance he could make some kind of comeback? Yeah, well, interestingly, we've got uh, a market on whether there will be a by-election in Uxbridge and South Royslip before the next election. And the odds there make no than our favourite, but only around a 60% chance. Um, so there's still a 40% chance that we could get one. Um, I mean, when it comes to Boris Johnson, I think if it emerges pretty quickly that he doesn't have much chance of making any political comeback, he'll be he'll be off very quickly doing various other things. Um, I just can't see him sitting on, on the back benches like Theresa May or, or Jeremy Corbyn. Um, interestingly, though, his seat has become more marginal over the last few elections compared to, na- to the national swing. So on a good night for Labour, there is, there is a chance that he could actually lose his seat at the next election. In preparation for this podcast, as you say, we put up a market on next Conservative leader after Liz Truss or Rishi Sunak. And Boris Johnson has now been traded up to third place. And he's last backed at 17, which is 16 to 1 in traditional terms. So that's about a 6% chance. Wow, third favourite. Yeah. Actually, from a betting point of view as a punter, I really like these kind of occasions where everybody has to come up with a new market on who's going to be the next Tory leader. It's one of those occasions where you might get some other bookies. Of course, this market's the best place to bet on these things. But sometimes in these situations, you know, other bookmakers, like fixed odds bookmakers, like to come up with a big list of who's going to be the next leader. And it's quite hard to um, it's quite hard to assess these things, right? You can't really model these very well. It's a lot of feeling about who you think is going to be more popular. You don't know how long it's going to be before there's another leader. So it's actually a good place um, sometimes to get a bit of value as a punter. I mean, if, I, I could imagine maybe somebody goes up with some crazy price of 100 to 1 on Boris Johnson to be the next leader, which um, I'd probably have a, have a bet on. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, you say about models, but I have tried to do something. Oh. So I've looked back at opposition leaders after an election loss for each party, for Labour and the Tories. So going back to the 1990s and earlier, it was often the case that people who replaced outgoing leaders had a lot of parliamentary experience behind them. So from Harold Wilson in 1963 to John Smith in 1992, the average length of time in Parliament for a new opposition leader was about 20 years. Since the late 1990s, starting with William Hague in 1997, almost every single new opposition leader has served as an MP for less than 10 years, the only exception being Jeremy Corbyn, who had been a backbencher for over 30. But even with Corbyn included in that group, the average seniority was just 10 years. So just giving a few examples, um, let me get this up. So William Hague had been an MP for eight, Ian Duncan Smith for eight, David Cameron for just four, Ed Miliband for five, and Keir Starmer for four. So there does seem to be a trend where our new opposition leaders are less experienced than they were in the past. So maybe if Liz Truss loses this election in 2024 or 2025, you could be looking at someone who became an MP in 2019 or 2017, maybe even 2015 at push. So it could be ultimately someone who's not on anybody's radar. Um, just plucking a name out of thin air a little bit. Um, but I was looking down the list, and the first name that jumped out was uh, Ranil Jayawardena. So he's the MP for North East Hampshire. 
He's got a hefty majority. He's served since 2015. He's 35, so he's a bit younger than the current crop of, of leadership candidates. Notably, he was a Brexit backer and supported Boris Johnson in 2019. He's also got a little bit of cabinet experience as a junior minister in the Department for International Trade, notably where, where this trust was before. He could be a decent outside shout if you could get odds of 50 or fifty or higher, I think. I bet it'll be like 100 to 1 in places. In fact, he won't be in a lot of this because nobody's, yeah. <laughs> nobody's said anything. But yeah, good shout. Um, one thing you've got to bear in mind, you mentioned your pick having a nice safe seat. And if we get... if this trust goes into the next general election, the Tories lose, then at least some of the people who you might fancy to be the next leader are going to lose their seats. And one name that springs to, name is, springs to mind is Dehenna Davidson, um, who a lot of people seem to think has a big future, but she's in one of these Red Bull seats, which if Labour end up forming the next government, they're most likely going to have to win those kind of seats anyway. So I'd be a bit wary about backing her. Having said that, a lot of the people at the top of our very early list are in super safe seats, uh, quasi quoting. I think it's favourite, isn't he? But he's, he's, he's not going anywhere. Uh, and the person I think should be favourite, and I might be interested in backing if I could get these prices, Kemi Badnock, breakout star of the last le- of this leadership election, I would say. And again, she's in a super safe seat in Saffron Walden, so um, she can be in Parliament for as long as she wants to be. Yeah, exactly. And both both Badnock and Kwarteng are probably going to be in Truss's cabinet in one form or another. Um, so you've also got to look at who's could be in the cabinet and whose profile could rise over the next couple of years. Um, so just looking at who is a big name now or was a couple of years ago is not necessarily going to yield good results. Um, people like Michael Gove might be on some traditional bookmakers lists towards the top, but you wouldn't want to back him. Gove's got no chance for lots of reasons. Um, Rob's in an extremely marginal seat, so you can't possibly back him. And, and you know, people like Penny Morden, I think her time has come and gone. She was quite a strong favourite at one point in this campaign, wasn't she? And um, I, I think she was just quite underwhelming um, and I wouldn't fancy a chance in the future either. So, yeah, like you, I might be looking for a few big price outsiders to bet in this one. Yeah, so just some some tips for everyone listening. Um, look for someone who's been an MP since 2015 or later, somebody in the 35 to 55 age bracket and someone who's either supported Brexit or has demonstrated their Brexit credentials like Liz Truss, who's had a huge uh, epiphany, let's say, um, <laughs> when it comes to Brexit and has wooed herself to to Brexiteers. The other thing I, I, I turned out to be a very profitable thing to look at, Conservative Home, it's a website for um, online Conservative members, I guess. Um, and their surveys of their readers, not really polls, actually turned out to be pretty good. The first indication that Truss was really quite a popular cabinet minister was when she started shooting up the ratings in their sort of monthly polls of who people liked and approved of in the cabinet. Uh, these kind of photo shoots he had as international trade secretary, signing deals with uh, Mongolia, whatever it was. That really worked out well for her. And that was the point at which, um, if you'd been following those polls, you could have picked her up at a really big price. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Those surveys are, are really good when it comes to cabinet members. Um, ben Wallace, for example, had had very strong approval ratings and was actually, even though he didn't run, was the favourite before he announced that he wasn't running. Um, you, you can pick up on a lot of trends looking at looking at those surveys. If you enjoyed this podcast and you want to hear more from us, there are plenty of ways to keep in the loop. You can follow us on Twitter at SmartKidsPoll, that's SmartKidsPoll, and that's the news and politics stuff that me and Matthew do. Or you can follow us at SmartKids, which is the whole SmartKids output, which includes sports as well. Also, if you have any questions for us ahead of the next episode, you can contact us in a variety of ways. You can either comment on YouTube, you can send us a message on Twitter or tweet us, or you can send us an email at politics at smartkits.com. Music.